Do you know who Mike Johnson is? Very well. He presents the crazy in a sane way, and that's a very dangerous thing. Because if you go one layer deep on what his belief systems are, it's very disturbing, I think, for the American electorate who values freedom of thought. Hey, it's Johanna Maska, and this week on Press Advance, we have a Speaker of the House. It's not the bipartisan option. It's a Republican speaker who most of America does not know, but one who finally got the entire caucus to vote for him. We're going to get to know Speaker Mike Johnson with a Republican who served in Congress with him. Denver Riggleman is a CEO. He owns a whiskey distillery in Virginia. He was an Air Force officer and a fiscal conservative who ran against government regulation and won. He won his congressional seat until he criticized, openly, QAnon, conspiracy theories, and President Donald Trump for trying to overturn the election. It was when he criticized Donald Trump that he got a text from his mother that read, I wish you were never elected. He wrote about it in his book, The Breach. We talk about the divisions in America, some within our own families, that these are constructed by short-sighted politicians. And we talk about what to expect from Speaker Mike Johnson. This is all ahead of Virginia's off-year election, so we talk about what's likely to take place in his home state. But first, I started by asking him how it made him feel when he got a text from his mom, I wish you were never elected. I had a very, she's a great mom, a single mom for a long time. But it was almost as if uh, somebody Superman throat punched me when I read it. It was one of the worst because it was in context with everything else that we had talked about. And it was really sort of devastating to me. And, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, my mother, it's um, a lot of my family, but also about five or six friends of over 30 years reached out and told me in no uncertain terms what an awful human being I was to come out against Trump or to accuse anybody of QAnon conspiracies, some of them being part of the problem. So it was... It's just one of those things that you sort of don't expect. And then it's like a meteor. And then you understand that there are people who believe that God has chosen Donald Trump. And if you're not on that, if you're not in that current, then you're not part of the plan going forward. And that's really what the thought was, is I wasn't part of that plan anymore for her. God, it's just so hard because, um, I mean, I think there were people during the Obama years, and I worked with President Obama, who really looked at him like a almost religious leader, which like humans are fallible, right? So it's imperfect. And then I saw it really building during Trump. I mean, people really believe like he is fighting for them. And it just strikes me. I mean, I think we grew up in probably like, you know, outside of Washington in towns like I grew up in Galesburg, Illinois, where Donald Trump could never live in Galesburg, Illinois, you know? <laughs> I'm from Manassas, Virginia, right? I'm, you know, we call ourselves manassholes. So I was as uh, almost bizarrely Gen X as you can get, you know, uh, born in 70, grown up in the 80s. And he would have no idea about that life. And I think that's what got to me was that, gosh, I'm a not only, you know, a congressman, I'm a decorated veteran, CEO of multiple companies. We have our grandkids here. It's choosing a charlatan and philanderer based on a belief system, you know, over family. And I think that's the thing that got to me. But on the other hand, you know, I do regret 
sometimes writing that chapter, which I thought would be healing for both of us, but really turned out to be more divisive. And that's because I still haven't seen the light as far as a lot of people are concerned, like my family. And so if I had to take one chapter back in the book, it probably would have been that. And and it's sad because I thought it could actually be a teachable moment for people who are going through the same thing. So then I go back and forth. Really one of the most difficult books that I've ever had to write was The Breach, not just for that, but also for what I saw and the data that I saw and knowing what's coming in 2024. Tell me about that, because I think people don't understand so much that Trump, you know, accused the Democrats of rigging an election you know, we can debate what happened because of the COVID pandemic. There were efforts made by states to open up voting by mail so that people could vote by mail. But every investigation has found very little to no fraud in that election, and yet people believe it. And what I don't think people are paying attention to is that Trump's now gotten smart on this, right? So he had this whole fake electors scheme he was intending to use. And so what he's doing at the state level this time around in states like Nevada, where they're just pulling out of a primary process altogether and going to a closed door caucus that is literally run by one of his fake electors. And that's who's deciding the Republican delegates this time around. Do you see any chance that it's not Trump? No chance. He's he's it. He's the presumptive nominee. And, you know, I think if you even look at polling in the Republican electorate, I mean, if you still have 70 percent of the people believing the election was stolen, you're going to have 70 percent of the electorate on the GOP side that always believe that Donald Trump should be president. And plus, you know, there's such a Christian undertone here, right? There's only, you know, we have self-identified Christian nationalists in Congress, right, who are pushing this narrative that even though Trump might be the imperfect vessel, God sent him here to conduct a perfect mission, and that's to save the United States of America. Then with that, you have all the conspiratorial thinking and magical thinking wrapped up in it. And you said something, you know, about January 6th, about alternate electors. Look at Mike Johnson. Right now, J6ers own the chamber. And I think that's something that people need to get used to. You have to accept as somebody who's in the party of the sane or (laughs) you're a facts-based individual that right now somebody who believed in the Hugo Chavez Venezuelan algorithm theories um, and Sidney Powell's take on how the election was stolen is actually Speaker of the House. To say that right now in a history of the United States, and for me that has over 20 years of intelligence experience in counterterrorism, Air Force, National Security Agency, Office of Secretary of Defense, to look at something like that and me actually serving as a former GOP congressman, I just shake my head. It's not that it's unbelievable, but it is that it's unprecedented. And if we don't get our arms around that type of crazy and that magical thinking, we're going to have people making policy for the United States of America who really do believe that Lord of the Rings is a documentary. And I think that would not be very good for our country going forward. It's so hard because I fear, like really, Denver, we could be entering 2024 with a war in the Middle East with very high gas prices, with people who are really hurting. I was walking my son to school and the crossing guard is a older Hispanic woman. And she said, you know, Johanna, you're going to get mad at me. But if it's Biden versus Trump, I'm going Trump. And it's a possibility. So I own distilleries, as you know, I make whiskey too. So we have lots of people that come through our tasting rooms. And, uh, 
There is a statement I'm hearing over and over again. It seems to have metastasized even on social media. And it's that picking crazy over incompetent. And that means those are the people who are, are favoring Trump. I even had somebody who voted for Biden, who was in law enforcement, who really does value data, say that right now in this country, he, even though he voted for Biden, he's actually changing his vote to Trump. And I had a, a quite the argument with that individual. Um, how could you know what you know and see what you've seen and think that Donald Trump is anything but an unmitigated disaster for our institutions and really for such a, a backwards way of thinking? It's almost an anachronism of awfulness, right? Uh, just this, you know, whether it's racism or anti-Semitism or whether it's him, you know, uh, coddling leaders from North Korea or Iran or Russia, you know, you're like, what the hell is happening here? Are we all taking crazy pills? I feel like Will Ferrell and Zoolander. You know, it's the same look. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so that's the issue. Yeah. And now we're set up for a very fractious election season where we're headed into an election where maybe we'll have the same Speaker of the House. We don't know. You know, the last podcast I put out, I continued to say, you know, if we as the Democratic Party gave Rashida Tlaib all of the power by doing everything we could to please her instead of partnering with the majority of the Republicans who actually believe in security and some of those issues, then, you know, we would be painted with the brush of Rashida Tlaib. Now, Republicans had an option. Hakeem Jeffries said over and over he was ready to make a deal for bipartisan government. They didn't come to him. They were likely afraid of the election consequences. And so instead, they got to a situation where they elected Mike Johnson. Nobody knew who he was. <laughs> I mean, it's like everybody's trying to figure out who Mike Johnson is. Do you know who Mike Johnson is? Very well. I know Mike well. Now, you got the former committee chair for the Republican Study Committee. Somebody, you know, when we first got into Congress, it was sort of funny because had people lecturing me that were politicians who like, you know, very shiny suits talking about workhorses and show horses. You know, you could be a workhorse in Congress or you could be a show horse in Congress. I'm like, give me a freaking break, you know. But if you put that definition to it, Mike Johnson was a workhorse. But he's very, very close to Trump. He did lead the amicus brief to object to the electors. By the way, you want to hear a weird thing? I think that amicus brief was filed December 10th. That's the same day I gave my speech on the floor warning about QAnon and conspiracy theories, which is pretty incredible to me. And you have somebody else also, obviously, as you know, did ascribe to conspiracy theories and has been defending Trump and still to this day won't say that the election wasn't stolen. I mean, this, you know, he's he is as far right as Jim Jordan. It's just he's very well spoken. He's gracious to meet in person. He presents the crazy in a sane way, and that's a very dangerous thing. Because if you go one layer deep on what his belief systems are, it's very disturbing, I think, for the American electorate who values freedom of thought. So let's talk about that. So he wrote that brief before January 6th. In the aftermath of January 6th, did anything change with him? I mean, here's a guy who says he's a Christian, who says he's, you know, like a, a man of faith. Here was an insurrection with a noose at the Capitol. Did anything change for Mike Johnson after January 6th? No. I mean, listen, if you think you have a direct link to the supernatural, why is it so hard to believe that 
Italian satellites change votes. You know, so you have an individual who is really faith-based. That's great. That's something great that our country's actually built on is freedom of religion. We don't want somebody, though, who believes that all legislation has to somehow evolve from the Bible. That is absolutely dangerous to the construct of our American institutions. And so, again, I've told people before, if you believe one conspiracy theory, you're more amenable or more susceptible to believe another conspiracy theory. Heck, if you believe that, you know, people get abducted by aliens, you probably believe the election was stolen by NSA and Hammer and Scorecard, which was pushed by a former lieutenant general named McInerney. So there's about nine or 10 really major conspiracy theories that everybody believes in some weird soup of crazy. And you have Mike Johnson rode that train. And so, again, if you're a facts-based person or you value facts-based insights based on validated data, it's really hard to take somebody seriously who also believe that homosexuality should be criminalized. So that it's those kind of things that you're just to the point, you're like, what is happening? And then you go back to that one statement that I've been saying, which, you know, yesterday somebody said, Denver boy, that's succinctly put, J6ers own the chamber. That's what's happened. And I think January 6th was just a teaser. And I think once you get into spring of 24, my worry is there's going to be some isolated violence. It's not great. I mean, We always have violence here in the United States of America, but I think it'll be more politically specific, especially as Trump goes through his trials and things of that nature. Oh, my God. It's so scary. Did you have like one on one encounters with Mike Johnson? Can you tell us some stories? Mike is close to the best. And um, again, very persuasive uh, to individuals who don't look one layer deep. So, again, we were very we were friendly. Never had an issue as far as confrontational in a way that would be yelling or screaming. But certainly as we got into from, I would say, May of 2020 through the election, I was pretty much already ostracized based on my anti-QAnon activities. I mean, I was the only Republican to speak out on the floor against QAnon. I am the guy who led, you know, the bipartisan on the Republican side with Tom Malinowski from New Jersey, the QAnon resolution. And that really got me sideways with a lot of the conference. And plus, you know, once you officiate a same-sex wedding as a Republican, you know, you're going to be booted anyway, or God forbid you vote for the legalization of marijuana or to streamline immigration procedures. You know, yeah, I voted most conservative most of the time, so I could pretend a little bit that I was part of the right. But on the other hand, I started to get to a point that I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, I'm very fiscally conservative. I I hate government regulations. I ran because of that. I despise, you know, sort of bureaucrats who don't understand what's going on. I mean, I actually get confrontational. But on the other hand, I'm also more socially liberal. So I was constantly fighting myself on the votes I had to take to try to stay in that current. And finally, after about a year, I just pulled shots and said, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm Denver Riggleman. And if you guys don't like it, pound sand and come after me. And they did. They they did exactly what I asked them to do. <laughs> they came after me. Yep. Well, do you think that's why not a single Republican, even though there are so many Republicans who are actually like you or, you know, like all of us, right? I don't agree with my husband on everything. I wouldn't agree with a party on everything. None of the Republicans would stray from Voting for Mike Johnson, not a single one, because they were all so worried of what was going to happen, like they were going to be the next Denver Riggleman. I remember a consultant said, Denver, you are the example of what not to do. Because I and, and I told him, I said, what is the example, guys? Is it the example that integrity and winning elections are mutually exclusive? 
I mean, is that where we're at? And if you think of people like Ken Buck, who said he would refuse to vote for anybody that was an election denier, then Mike Johnson comes along and goes, well, everybody makes mistakes. He rolls over and shows his belly like the cowards that some of them are, right? You know, rub my belly as long as you guys are happy with me. I mean, what kind of pathetic, you know, individual is that that you can lie and then the next day say, well, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't mean it. Yeah, I was, I was just full of shit. That's how I live my life, right? And so a lot of people, I think it's really you have the FOS caucus, the full of shit caucus, and the Republicans right now. And I think all of them are sort of uh, are trying to brand themselves with Trump as they're looking at the polling. And it's all about winning. Remember, it's polling, fundraising, and fear. Those are the only three things that some individual politicians are motivated by. So then I have hope, okay, how do we change this? Well, we're not going to change it this election cycle at the federal level because we're likely going to have two, you know, very old, <laughs> they would have been in high school the same time, leaders who have been on Social Security for more than a decade plus, you know, people at the top who are running against each other. So I think, okay, maybe we can change it at the state level, right? Like we can look at our state, our young leaders and our people who are coming up in the ranks. So I want to talk about Virginia politics. You guys have a big election coming up in just a short time frame. What are you looking at in Virginia? And is there any hope on the horizon? I think Virginia's elections this year will be a, a bit of a nothing burger when it comes to whether the Senate or House changes. Number one, I think the Senate will stay Democrat. I think the House will stay Republican. I think it's going to be almost to the point where Youngkin's going to have to make some awful decisions about if he's going to jump into the presidential race based on how those elections go. You know, Virginia is an odd state. They just outlawed the way that I was actually taken out, which was conventions and caucuses. Because, uh, you know, if you remember for me, um, it was during COVID, they actually had it in a church with only 2,500 people. They knew they couldn't beat me in a primary. So Republicans in a lot of states, you were talking about these laws, right? They would rather, like Nevada or Nevada, I better say it right, Nevada like Nevada, they want to disenfranchise as many individuals as possible for the craziest people to win because that's where they believe they need to be based on who they think the president's going to be, which is Trump again in 2024, 2025. So for Virginia, listen, it's an election every year. This place is nuts. And really, they need to stop that nonsense and do it every you know two years like others. But we have off-year elections here. It sometimes is a, a real indicator of what's going to happen. I think the abortion issue is going to rule in Virginia. Virginia is not becoming more red, but it certainly is in the far right districts in South and Southwest uh, and out in the Western parts of Virginia, it's always going to be red. So you're going to see this massive culture battle, I think, on the abortion issue above everything else. The other thing too is, listen, in this district where I'm at right now, still over 70, 75% of the people that are Republicans believe the election was stolen. They believe that Trump is being pursued by the deep state and the globalists. They believe that people like me, uh, remember you said you came out as a Democrat? They called me the tool of the Antichrist. They called me the general of the Sodomite armies. They said that I was laundering money for George Soros through my distilleries. They called me in the pejorative a secret Jew. But you know what I knew I had really lost? They called me the worst thing you could be called as a Republican. Are you ready for this? What is it? A secret Democrat. Oh, God. <laughs> my family are largely Republicans. My mom has left the party. She's a 
Democrat now, but you know, I remember coming out as as a Democrat to my family, and they said, you know, oh, you know, my dad was like, get out of my room, <laughs> and because, my grandmother was that. none too happy. <laughs> think about that. That's insane to me that because you have an R or D, somehow you're not part of the family. I mean, think about a country that's becomes first of all. I don't think the two-party system actually, it doesn't survive social media. It's not going to survive. It can't. Because you're still going to have the Rashida Tlaibs and the Omars and the Mark Pocans and stuff in the Progressive Caucus. I can't stand either. But, you know, right now we have crazies on each side. I get it. You can't really what about it, though, or what about ism or, or both sides ism. Because uh, on the far right, they're in a hold my beer moment. Right? So so that's really what we got. And there's been violence perpetrated on that, you know, uh, on a specific political goal to overturn the election based on violence or based on things that are like coup-like movements and policy or misusing resources and things of that nature. So the fact that you would be kicked out or you would get yelled at for coming out as a Democrat is the same thing, you know, me and you have this in common, that because you take a stand based on what you believe are facts or your belief systems, somehow just because you have a D behind your name somehow identifies you as the enemy. I mean, what's going on here? We do need a third or fourth or fifth way because this R&D BS, listen, identify as American and make your decisions based on facts and data. If the first thing I go up to somebody and like, hey, how you doing? My name's Denver Riggleman. I, you know, in distilleries, I got an AI company, used to be in Congress, was on the committee. You know, I, I like long walks in the park and dogs and whiskey and, you know, things like that. Love to fish. And like, oh, hey, I'm Joe Bag of Donuts and I'm a Republican. If somebody self-identifies as a Republican or de- a Democrat in the first five seconds you're talking to them or five minutes, you need to run away. That's really what it comes down to for me. Yeah, no, the great majority of us, I think, are tired of it. I mean, it really is, though, right now with Mike Johnson, it's an interesting point you make, and you know him. It's almost as if uh, Rashida Tlaib was running, if we, if the Democrats had uh, the majority, and she got elected Speaker of the House. Some people in the middle would have some things to say about it. Democrats would never allow a Tlaib type to be Speaker. Wouldn't happen. Not at this point. Maybe if it happens in the next 10 years, then we know that, you know, we sort of have some reciprocal radicalization going on, which is a whole nother thing. But with Mike Johnson winning, I mean, he was able to sneak through. And that's the thing. Everybody's like, well, he's short for the game. Mm-mm. If Trump wins, he's long haul. He's going to be there. The only thing that could stop him, if, if he can't fundraise, that's it. It's not because he's, you know, believes crazy things. It's not because he's done something bad on policy. If he can fundraise, he'll stay there. And if Trump loves him, he'll stay there. But the thing is, it's about the money. And if he can't get the money, they'll find somebody else to do it. Any last word of wisdom on a hope? Full note. <laughs> Any hopeful note that we could end on, like, if we get this right, what happens? Well, I tell you, I think if the sane can mobilize, if there's the ability to look at middle America from a democratic perspective and understand that there are certain things that will never fly, just won't fly. But you can talk to how the far right or you can talk about how the Republicans specifically, the party has been hijacked by insanity but you can do it in a way that's almost compassionate, that we are here for the people. We're not here to, to give lip service. And really, you have to attack the head of the snake. Everything you do has to be to rip apart politically, intellectually, and theoretically Donald Trump. It's got to be all-out war. If you're not willing to go all in, there could be a problem. I will say this on the hope side, though. 
with Mike Johnson, if they do it right, with Mike Johnson now as the speaker, I think what you're going to see with the Democrats, I think they're looking at a 20 to 30 seat swing. I think they're looking at actually getting the majority in the House back. And I think they might have a chance if they're able to message that correctly. But if they go down the line and they go off into some other issues that really don't track with the American public or seem not important to what's going on in people's really in their kitchen tables and what they're talking about economically, or what they're talking about this country, where it needs to be, they're going to go off track. And you could see a majority still the GOP with a Trump presidency and the Senate barely hanging on. And that would be insane. So I think it comes down to, can the sane rally? That's really what it comes down to. Can the sane rally? And are we going to rally for an 80 plus year old? I think 160 years of combined age between the two presidential candidates does not bode well for either party. Listen, I am I've never identified as a Democrat, but you had to give it to Joe Biden in the past few weeks. He has done some amazing work. I mean, he has. And I've been absolutely, I've been impressed. And I'm like, okay. Well, let's see if he can continue that momentum, but it doesn't take away the fact of percentages and health scares for both candidates. And I think we're, we're to a point that I think maybe the 70, 80 year old candidates running for president, I think maybe we need to have a relook at that and, uh, and go in another direction at some point, maybe not now, but at some point, at some point, it's not going to be a choice anymore. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. There's the, 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 the percentages run, run out the clock, whether you like it or not, none of us get out alive. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Denver Riggleman, I'm so grateful that you joined me on your anniversary. Happy anniversary. And, you. you know, I hope that all of us can get through this moment in politics and still have the love and compassion for the family members who, you know, they're our own blood. And, and gosh, it's just so hard right now. But I do hope you find that peace. I hope you do, too. And I couldn't say it any better than this. I really appreciated Denver Riggleman's perspective on Press Advance, and I hope you did too. You can follow Press Advance, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on social media at Johanna Masca and always let me know what your questions are and what you want to know more of on Press Advance. <laughs>